You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 291, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. I'm not alone today. Today is another catch-up episode with my friend, Nick Schroeder. Hey, Nick, how are you? Hey, Brittany, I am fantastic. How are things on your end of the pond? Always living the dream, Nick. Always living the dream. (laughs) (laughs) But we last caught up in June, and you had hinted that you were going to a new job. So I'd love to hear about how it's going, uh, hear some details about the job. So please take it away. Yeah, thanks, uh, Brittany. You know, it's wild. It feels like it's just yesterday I talked to you, and we got caught up. And also, just for the listeners, I, I do, I live on the other side of the pond. We have the same accent, but you know, it's my little thing. Um, so yeah, I worked for a lovely company, Oceans HQ, for four years, and and just literally last time we talked, we were at that point where you can't really say much, but something's definitely happening, and. Uh, Nothing was wrong there. Just got a, a great, you know, offer from an interesting company, also full time remote. Because um, this year I was just allowed to actually seek employment since I'm in the UK, right? With visas. Um, now that I'm a spouse and everything, I'm allowed to be a normal person and work anywhere. And uh, anyway, I started in August, so I was in kind of the beginning of my notice period last time we spoke. And uh, if you don't, yeah, I'll just kind of give you the one liner on what they do, and then if you don't mind, riff a little bit about what what the move's been like, if that's all right. Yeah, please do. I'm super interested in it. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, there's definitely something to unpack here about working for one code base for four years and switching. So, um, yeah, so I work now for Hero Health, and uh, I asked my boss for kind of a one-liner because it's you know there's my you know developer view of what we do but it's always kind of fun to hear not not the company you know thing but it's a it's a company out of oxford that uh is working on the massive challenge of solving how consumers search for find and book private health and wellness services in the uk whether that's your your gp your doctor physical therapist dentists or yoga teachers um, so the, the number one uh, primary focus right now has been becoming the solution for payment providing and booking and scheduling. Um, and also uh, longer term wants to solve as far as uh, accessing all sorts of care. So right now, a lot of times we'll, we'll be focusing on the provider side and, and getting a lot of interaction from them. But as we get more and more uh users using our system to manage, you know, payment processing and, and uh, bookings with patients. Also, the patients have an easy way to get in, right? So you're not having to do the old school thing, which is very common in the UK, calling on the phone, um, going in, seeing when you can get an appointment. And it's also an interesting problem space in that the NHS is quite prolific here, which is uh, the, the UK has a national healthcare system. And uh, so most people would go for that. So this would be for a customer base that is, you know, is going private in these areas. Whereas, you know, in the U.S., like almost everything's private. And if you have the government, it's a reimburser like Medicare, Medicaid. Um, And uh, just going from that, which I, you know, uh, I'm sure the team will be listening to this and I probably could have put our solution better. But um, 
goodness, for, for our perspective, Brittany, moving code bases is wild. And I, I just love to put, I'll, I'll answer on my end, but I think this is a really interesting question of what do you look for when you go into a new code base, right? Because there's, there's the, the team aspect, which I'll, I have a one-liner for you later, but like, what if you look in a new code base file, are there specific places you look for? Because I look in the, the root star RB, like the gem file, because it's just, where do you start, right? Absolutely. Um, I, I tend to look at the, the readme first to see if oh, there's yeah. anything there. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I think the gem file is so telling, especially, you know, I want to know what version of Rails it's on, what dependencies are there. Yeah. Are they using any dependencies that were deprecated in 2012? You know, those kinds of things. But I also find the vendor directory super interesting because that's where you find people have forked gems and are storing it in that directory and i'd like to know the story as to why that's going on that's a really oh my gosh i wouldn't have even thought of that that's a that's a huge gotcha i wouldn't have caught and then and then even when you do like i think that's a really quick route to find the things that you don't know that are like done things in the rails community but you've never worked on for example this isn't the case but uh say i only ever did can 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 and they use pundit or uh well i i I don't know how much of it I could talk about the actual tech stack, but I think I'd be okay to say I've never interacted with Docker professionally in my life, and this is a Docker situation. So, so that's been uh, quite interesting because I have you know a lot of friends who are big advocates of it, and some who say have opinions one way or the other. But I've got to tell you, massive learning experience, and one I'm still doing. It's kind of like just day one. It's like what commands do I need to run to make this run? You know. Um, and then uh, I'll be competent at some point. So for the Docker situation, are you doing that in production or is it your development environment as well? Yeah, it's, it's the whole kit and caboodle. So I didn't know that initially. So I was trying to fire things up, um, you know, on my machine, you know, because and, and, and I'll tell you what, some of the things using it on my machine that I have to get better about. So like I'm used to being able to... Um, like, I don't know how I'd run bundle open from within a container, or um, I guess I'd just bundle it to my machine separately and then run bundle open. Or I don't know how I would, oh, so another good one, you know, like when you're running Capybara locally um, and you have your feature test and it's not headless, you can watch your specs running, right, in a browser so that when it fails, I actually see, oh, it, it didn't it didn't see that modal there. I don't have to manually grab a screenshot and look at it or something. Um, but, you know, these are just flows I got used to in my little nested world for four years that I have to, to kind of improve upon. But, um, no, it's, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm a couple months in now, and it's the drink from the fire hose, but absolutely loving it. And, you know, I'm not going to go on for the whole episode, but there's one other point I'd like to bring to you, uh, Brittany, that, we, that I think would be close to your heart. This team is amazing. They have hired, the, so we have a semi-distributed team, but the core Ox, they're in Oxford, core Oxford office. Um, we have developers that have been sourced locally from boot camps that have, I, I don't know if, you know, they, they just come up like you and I have is what I'm trying to say here. Just simply put, they, you know, they haven't all had this traditional doctorate CS background and uh it's in the uh one of the owners gus has been 
very adamant about wanting to take people who may start out on the junior end and mentor them and bring them up. So it's been such a treat to come into an office where I have people who some of them may be within their first year of professional coding and oh my gosh, they're so excited and bright and smart and just soaking up everything. And I don't, I don't even feel like there's a difference. But then once the, you know, once in a while they'll say something I won't know. I'll say something they won't know. But they're, it's just so fun to be able to work with these folks because I was on a smaller team before. So um, it's just uh, longer term. I'm really excited to be part of a team that wants to be taking people from the junior end and putting them to the senior end because, as I'm sure you uh, are aware of as well, getting from that never worked a programming job in your life to getting your first gig is so painful, and I'd love being a part of getting people over that hump so absolutely and you're right it is close to my heart as i've mentioned on the podcast before i currently have a friend who's going through a boot camp locally and it's been a good five or six years since i've gone through that experience and watching it from her side especially since boot camps became equivalent ever since i graduated and just seeing what her experience would be as a junior developer and it's tough because she on monday had a uh a recruiter reach out to her and say, hey, I have this front-end web development opportunity. Are you interested? And she was really excited. She was jumping up and down, but she realized that she only has a couple weeks into JavaScript and this job is going to be very heavily JavaScript. Yeah. And so being able to decode whether or not she is ready for said job is just, it's a very difficult when you don't have an immediate mentor who can help you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just being able to, to, get that and I, I had to go it mostly on my own right and so if if there's anything that I can give it's like oh my gosh I suffered with this for two years before I knew about this simple thing and pass it on and give it um it'd be great because most all of us have had to just oh man I mean don't even get me started on the imposter syndrome of it right you just have to go in and get one person to say yes to you when you feel out of your depth and just flounder as long as you can until you're like oh wait I know that thing I know that thing so, and I think yeah. the tough part too is there's just so much to know and having someone to help you and guide you on what things you should know really well and to be able to know what makes you happy is important. That's why I love it when conferences have a scholars program where newer developers can enroll into the program and then they have guides, you know, set developers in the community that can help bring those people around to the specific talks and the workshops that are going to be relevant to them. Absolutely. And I think when we see those kinds of things as community members and on Twitter or anything, we should make a little more effort to help flag it up and, and reinforce it. Because even at a conference, you can get to the conference, but if you're on your own and you struggle a little bit in social situations, uh, it's it's hard. And I mean, I was lucky because I met you at a conference, but as a speaker, you're basically, you know, you get in with all the speakers and you see everybody as a smaller conference, so you're very lucky as well. Um, but some of the, I imagine at RailsConf, which is amazing. I've never been, but I bet it, once you get to that size, you can kind of get lost in the shuffle. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of such, RubyConf has one coming up and I did apply to be a guide, which I've never done before, but I will be going to RubyConf because I'm excited to say that I will be speaking at RubyConf for the first time. Um, I'm so excited because basically the idea of a talk came from you and I discussing offline about a specific topic and I believe it was you Nick that said hey I think this could make a really good conference talk and I thought you know what 
I've never been to RubyConf. I actually believe in this talk. Why don't I just submit it and see what happens? And so it, it, it worked. <laughs> was that was that the about what was the headline, the one liner on it? Yeah, again? yeah. So the I the talk is called Hire Me. I'm excellent at quitting. And the summary is you have the right to be happy at work. Why would you want it any other way? As our careers as Ruby developers flourish, amazing new opportunities will require you to quit a job that you may love or loathe. It's okay to quit. If you want to learn how to gracefully leave your job with a solid game plan, an educated successor, and without burning bridges, this talk is for you. Oh my gosh. That's a, I think I remember we were talking and you basically said a version of that headline just casually. As, and to me, it sounded like you'd already, like this was a thing like that you'd written. And I was just like, oh, that... Did you give that as a talk? Because it sounds, <laughs> it already sounded like a talk to me, right? Um, right. That is and that, I, that's awesome. And that's a good recipe for a talk where you get excited about it without even having to write out the outline. I mean, it's been really fun just putting together the slides, and I'm, I'm excited to do it. I got an excellent speaking slot. I'm speaking in the last slot on day two. And nice. so I'm, it'll be great. There are several talks that I'm very excited about seeing while I'm down there. Um, a couple of them. Dee Lavender is doing a talk on how to become an encoding champion. I don't know if you've ever run into encoding issues, but I certainly have. And the fact that I support a symphony orchestra, they tend to use the umlaut symbol a lot. Yeah. And when you have encoding issues on your website, that becomes very obvious when things are not working. In our case, the code base was written in UTF-8, but the database itself was encoded in Latin. And so we had to sync those two together in order to have everything display correctly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No. So I've only run across it with when working with foreign clients and the Umlaut came out and it was, they were always errors that I never expected. And I struggled to under, I mean, we got through them, but they weren't like your everyday happy go lucky rails errors to me anyway. For sure. And then Daniel Ackerman's doing a talk on statistically optimal API timeouts, which I think is really relevant because of our heavy usage on a main API at our work. Uh, he's going to be talking about um, when should you retry an API request, when should you make sure that you're not getting those timeouts and that it's not affecting your website. One thing that we've done at the Trust is if we get a timeout from our API, we check about once a minute. If we get a timeout, then we actually go into maintenance mode on our site and we shut down features on the site that are not tied to that API so that people are able to continue to use the website but they're just not able to buy tickets at that moment. But we, in a way, gracefully fail. And so understanding those API dependencies and when you should be interpreting those messages back, I think it's going to make a really great talk. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. When, when are the dates on the conf again? Yeah, the conference is, hang on, I know this. It is November 18th through the 20th, and it's going to be taking place in Nashville. I'm very lucky in the fact that I will be going down there for the full conference. My partner at work, Danielle Greaves, who has been on the show before, she's not going to the conference, but she's actually going to be coming down to Nashville with me. So during the day, I will be conferencing, and then at night, she is in charge. That's going to be awesome. Have you ever been to Nashville? I have. The food is excellent. The people are great. It's a nice, clean city. I think it's a really good choice for, for RubyConf, for sure. Have you been? No, no, I, I haven't. I need to I need to get down there. It's on my bucket list. But will uh, so I'm I'm confessing at this point, even though I've I've got a little conference budget and and trying to go to more 
and this honestly, if I if I'd planned a little further ahead, is so perfectly primed, right? Like, because it's not because we don't have Thanksgiving, so it's not against a holiday for me, and um, and it's it's Nashville's relatively closer to the UK than a lot of other cities, um, but I'm not going to make it so for people like me. Is it, are they affiliated with Comfreaks or anything this year? Or is there for being able to see what's going on, or do you know? Oh, they always are because I think the same organization puts together RubyConf and RailsConf and they're excellent and they always seem to have everything together. If I recall from RailsConf, usually one room was always live streamed. Yeah. So all the keynotes uh, definitely will be live streamed and the keynotes for RubyConf are Matt's, Jessica Kerr. She's an excellent speaker. I'm excited to see her speak live. Wow. Uh, Karen Lloyd, who I haven't seen speak before, and then of course Sandy Metz who always knocks it out of the park, and I cannot wait to see her live again. That is a amazing stellar lineup, of which you're a part. That's so cool. I'm really excited. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Kensington. As the leader in laptop security and productivity, Kensington offers a wide range of products, including secure tablet and laptop cases, adapters, and docking stations. Their universal docking stations give you access to more ports on your slim Chromebook so you can be as powerful as a desktop. With plug-and-play functionality without having to install drivers, you will enjoy dual 4K display with HDMI and DisplayLink video connectors. Interested? Test drive a docking solution today with the Kensington Pro-C program. Visit kensington.com ruby to learn more. Thank you to Kensington for sponsoring the show. So what else is new with you, Nick? Well, so as far as more Ruby land and less Ruby on Rails land and less uh, uh, gigs land, I am, so not the time of recording, but probably at the time uh, before the time of release, I am open sourcing a little gem that I've been using for a couple of years. Um, just a handy little toolkit that has to do with uh, performance and performance measuring and logging. It's basically a collection of things that I found I was doing manually all the time, and I was tired of handwriting um, everything out. So um, at, the, at the moment, it's named because I literally, when I can't think of a name, um, use my GitHub avatar with the name of the thing is Schwad Performance Logger, because Performance Logger is taken and unused. Um, but what it does is it allows you to instantiate a line of code um, with a memorandum and it can log in one of three ways. So either uh, or all three to puts to a log file and to CSV and it starts initialization. It gives you current memory usage and uh, starts the time and then you invoke it. So say you have an instance variable you store as a PL for performance logger, right? And every time you go PL.logPerformance with a memo it will update your puts in your log file with how much time has passed and how much memory has been used since the last run and also since the instanti instantiation. Really, the, that's how you use it, but the, the use case is, say you have a big gnarly Ruby file that you're using and you're not sure where the pain point is, where there's a lot of time being taken and a lot of memory coming out. For me particularly, the memory was the issue in this case. You can sprinkle this throughout the file and get a good printout of the changes and isolate that one or two or three lines a lot faster. Um, but I also included uh, in, in this uh, gem 
a few other handy toolkits that you that you might be familiar with from the likes of you know Aaron Patterson or whoever that use these a lot. So I also use uh, benchmark.ips a lot and I like to manually time code a lot, allocate count of objects and profile memory. And this allows you to from within the, the SPL is what it's called um, module, just pass in a block of code with spl.ips do, spl.time do, spl.memory do, and then just pass it your block of code and actually see um, how performant it is. I'll have a full readme and everything out there, but I've just been using it for a couple of years. People have been stealing it off me, and I just am just going to release it out into the world and see if anybody else gets use out of it, too. That's super cool. Has it been on RubyGems this whole time? Just the source code wasn't open source, or is everything going live today? It has been on RubyGems, because why not? I'm not going to figure out a private Ruby server or anything, but it's not pointed to uh, a you know, so you could have found it and downloaded it and unpacked it that way, but it wasn't, you know, public to the world, the normal community way, right? Like on GitHub. And so uh, it's it's out now. Uh, today I'm finishing up the updates on the README and there'll be a full blog post and everything that I will share. That's awesome. Well, speaking of code, because we do talk about that, I have a confession. I have not upgraded to Rails 6. Dun, dun, dun. The reason for that is that when we knew Rails 5 was coming out, I was able to sit down with my boss, look at our overall web planning for like the next six months and say, hey, pretty confident that Rails 5 is going to hit at this date. So I want to be able to upgrade all of our applications in this window. And it all just kind of made sense. This time around, we kind of didn't know when Rails 6 was going to come out, and it almost felt like a sneak attack when it yeah. did. And so I just kind of forgot to prioritize it, just haven't gotten around to it yet. And so I feel that Rails 5 was a very stable release. I feel like we're pretty, we're sitting pretty on it, but I do want to get around to upgrading to Rails 6. Well, I, th I think it's easily done. I mean... And I don't know if you had this, This I don't really see this done in the Rails community, but I remember back in the day, like the day, the day, when like a new release of Windows would come out, the superstition was let it hang out there for four or five months and then and then upgrade, right? Or and I kind of, my confession is I kind of still do this with some things to this day. So, you know, um, if there's any major bugs, if 5, five is going to be well supported for quite a while. I, I think there may be a secret strategy in there to like the staggered upgrade, you know, of up to half a year or so. I mean, I, I do it with my Ruby for sure. Like I, I don't run onto Ruby on the day after Christmas, you know. And I've still got some things from Rails 5 and probably now Rails 6 that I still need to do. We're still running on Paperclip and that's been deprecated. I need to sit down and cut us over to active storage. Um, we use CK Editor as our text editor within our CMS. And, you know, I'm eager to get on to action text. So really, it's just going to be shutting dependencies. The big thing, though, is that the upgrade from Rails 5 to 6 to most people in the organization, really the majority, it's going to be no different. Like, there's not going to be a huge, huge performance boost. There's not going to be these, like, fancy new features that are going to come out. And I'm totally okay with that. But it just means that the fancy new features that are in my development pipeline right now are going to get prioritized over an upgrade. Yeah, I always I always find upgrades in that interesting category of it's it's not a small undertaking. I think even the smallest 
upgrade's not a small undertaking, but then explaining that outside of our little Rails dev circles, it's not always the easiest as well. I'm not saying that, that you have any issues with that, your organization, but um, it is, it's like, okay, I have to do some serious work and everything's going to be the same, you know? <laughs> exactly. And that's a little tough because you basically, I'll probably have to go in a code freeze for maybe a couple of days. And it's just hard because, you know, I won't be able to ship during those days, but it is technical debt that needs to happen. It's just nothing's on fire at the moment. And so if there isn't a huge, huge push, but it is definitely on my list of things to do before the quarter is over. And, and, and I know they've worked hard to make it slick, but still, like, I would, I've, I was, before I was active storage, I was carry wave usually, but um, goodness, going like just just going paperclip to active storage, even in the easiest sense, it has to do with data storage, right? Like, and it, it's uh, I, I can imagine that's still an undertaking, even if it's really slick. I imagine it's still a bit of work. For sure. So one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about is I'd love to check in on your hardware situation. Has anything changed with your keyboards? Have you done anything exciting new? Any recommendations? Yes, so I've got, uh, in, uh, so it, for the listeners who don't know, I have a Rodox Easy, which, I mean, I could say I did all the research in the world, and it's the world's best ergonomics. It, it actually has helped at about six weeks of serious hand pain, and, and I actually am very low on hand pain at the minute, so I can give it that endorsement. Um, but uh, I, I've not done anything radical. I have become a big subscriber of all the mechanical keyboards websites. And thanks to a very uh, generous uh, gift from a friend that you might know, I have started ordering keycaps. They are not here yet, but they let you, because if you look at the ErgoDocs, all the keys are all sorts of crazy directions and sizes and stuff. And this lets you actually move your text in, into cool positions and stuff to match it so like my return keys could become an engage like uh star trek engage engage thrusters um and i'm going to have a, a bomb on my escape key and i've got a couple other funky ones that i'm looking at doing for my command key because that absolutely has to be something um and by the way i think last time i spoke to you about it i didn't know that i had the glow because it didn't light up when i plugged it in so i just figured I didn't have the glow and I didn't have enough money for it. And then I, I found out that I had to turn something on and now I've got all the colors customizable as well. So life's pretty good. That's amazing. <laughs> so I've, I've tried a couple of the mechanical keyboards since we've talked and I am going to have to get myself one. I'm currently looking at one where you have the option of either getting it fully assembled or a DIY kit. And I, th I think I'm going to have to go DIY. I think I'm going to appreciate the keyboard more if I build it myself. I don't know if you have any opinions on that. Oh my gosh, do it. Because like, it's, so since I got it as is, it's it's great. But like, there's all these decisions that I had to make at the time of purchase. Like uh, what you type of switch and the pressure and all this stuff. And I feel like if I had built it from the ground up, it would have been frustrating. But I would have really known my stuff about like, what I like and don't like. And you could probably buy a couple different types of switches, test them out as you're putting it together and caps and, and, and whatever. Um, but I think you get ownership of it. It's kind of like with rails, right? Since you built it and had the, all the pains of building it, 
you really know your way around it and enjoy it and love it even more. Instead totally of just, true. Yeah. So there are two developers on Twitter that I absolutely adore, and that's uh, Sailor HG and Cassidy. And the two of them combined together to create a custom keycap set. And I saw this keycap set, and I wanted them so much, and I was like, I need a mechanical keyboard in order to put these keycaps in. So I don't know if you've seen what the keycaps look like, but they basically made keycaps with the constellations of the Zodiac. They're beautiful. No They're way. pink and purple. They're gorgeous. And the point is to, to hold hidden truths about your own personality. So you install these keycaps based on what you feel looks correct to you. And it's designed by these two women. And it's pastel yellow, pink, and purple accent keys. And it's basically a colorful and vibrant array that basically any Zodiac sign would appreciate. So they did this in kind of a crowdfunding type way where... They, they put it up for pre-sale, and so you order these keycaps, and as more people made orders, the keycaps actually came down in cost. And so they managed to sell out a thousand sets of them, which is really amazing. It kind of proves that mechanical keyboards are here to stay. Oh, wow. I'll just say one other thing that ties in this subject with the with very first one I talked about. So I code at home alone, except for two days a month where I go visit the central office and sit with all the developers. And one very nice developer and, and he meant this in the nicest way but i just just picture an english person saying this i was typing away with my headphones in on my mechanical keyboard and everybody else is typing on their macbook pro keyboards and just quietly said totally polite nothing meant by it just said did it take you a while to get used to that sound <laughs> and like Ooh. totally that nice but i was like I, I, I was kind of thinking, I love the sound, and I got the quiet one, you know? Because <laughs> there's really loud, and I got, like, the soft, reduced. And I was trying to explain the difference between a click and a clack, and then I realized maybe I should uh, ratchet it down a few notches. That actually makes me wonder if there's a Twitter account devoted to passive-aggressive mentions of a mechanical keyboard, because I could see that being very popular. Oh, yeah, because I did realize that when I'm alone in my... Because I live in ancient house of stone walls i can really hit those keys right and get and it feels good um but yeah it's 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 quite an adjustment so i can't wait to hear your report as you get into it. it's a it's a weird world because you are probably like me i knew this world existed for about a year and a half and it just was weird i'd see it on reddit or twitter sometimes i was like why are these people so obsessed with keys and stuff it's just a keyboard you know but now it's kind of like race car drivers obsessed with it to make a car or something you know um it's a big part of what we do and what we use and it's super fun to throw money at so no i think we're very lucky in the the fact that just everything is moving towards personalization and just making sure that you're maximizing your enjoyment with whatever you're doing so it can just be the most subtle thing and I think this is just one of those things where developers are becoming more aware that these keyboards are out there. There's a lot more vendors doing it and just a lot more options. And so you can personalize this to really make it all about you. Absolutely. So, uh, Nick, anything else that you would like to talk about before we wrap up? Yeah, kind of a, a little open question for you that, I, that has been kicking around my head lately, uh, especially after starting a new job and all that, you know, um, when you start working as, as a Ruby developer, there's an expectation, but then after you get a few years in, say three, four, five years in, I'm, I'm in my fifth year now, there, there's kind of an expectation that a fifth year developer means something 
or a third year or a second year or a tenth year, right? And um, but I realized that if you don't actively keep, you know, pushing yourself forward and learning and exploring new things, you know, like listening to podcasts or, or doing doing things outside your code, especially if you stay in one code base, of, of someone in their fifth year may have had a, so many more experiences than somebody else who just kind of stagnated. So I was wondering is as far as resources and also day-to-day methodology, what are what are people doing to keep learning? I'll give you a few examples. I love, you know, when they open sourced, you know, Upcase, a lot of the, you know, Drifting, Ruby, Go, Rails, of course, with Chris, um, all these resources to kind of go for intermediate, senior, and even junior. Um, I know ThoughtBot actually dedicates a day a week, and some other firms do to letting their devs, you know, contribute to open source and, and, and level up. And especially with a few juniors on the team, it's just something that I'm thinking about is like, on top of just doing the code every day, what can myself and, and they do to just keep learning and keep growing in the future? I was just wondering, is there anything that you uh, like to do or use, or is it, you know, it could just be work as well, right? Like, I think work's enough. I don't think we should be slaving our weekends away, but how do you, what do you think about that issue? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I'm very lucky that I'm currently working at a job that supports me in learning. And they want to hear that, like in my annual performance review, they want to hear specific answers from me about how I'm learning and how I'm staying in the community. I love the fact that the trust actually sees that by hosting this podcast that I'm enriching myself. And so one thing for me is I'm an AWS certified developer. And that's something that I need to upkeep every two years. So the trust gives me resources in order to keep learning, but I'm at that point where I'm like, you know what, I AWS has a variety of certificates now, and so now I'm thinking about sitting down and trying to get another certificate. They're also great about sending me to conferences, but at the end of those conferences, I am meant to sit down with my team and really talk about what I learned at the conference. I don't just attend. I usually go in there with some sort of purpose. I, I tend to do better at conferences when that happens. I'd like to have an overall theme. So like a good example is uh, AWS reInvent's coming up in November and my boss's boss had come up to me a couple weeks ago and he said, blockchain, I think we should get on the blockchain. Oh no. See what you can do. <laughs> that blockchain. So, <laughs> so I am going to be taking as many blockchain workshops as I possibly can because I am not educated on it at all. And that is a good immersive way for me to get involved in it. I have the option of doing Udemy courses or listening to podcasts about it. But I, I think this is the first approach that I'm going to take on on something like that. But yes, to your point, you know, I'm also hitting that five-year mark as a Ruby developer. And I know that you're supposed to refer to yourself as, you know, we are web developers. We're not technically Ruby developers, but at my very core, I feel that I'm a Ruby developer. And I kind of constantly question, you know, should I be as confident in another language as I am with Ruby? I'm sure the answer is yes. It's just going to be hard for me to be able to hit that because I spend 40 hours a week writing Ruby. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. And it, and I think it sounds like you've got some support and, and some people do to level up in maybe areas related to or tangential to, you know, what you got to do for work, which is 
which is great because some places wouldn't, you know, like I think some places if you wanted to get a certificate or you said, hey, I'm going to take a day this week and level up my raw SQL, you know, um, they'd say, no, you've got to ship these features. But then, yeah, I think it does get tricky, especially if you want, you're like, I just need to make myself really good at Python now. And, um, but it has nothing to do, I can't implement it, at least for a year, like, you know, there, there's no use case, but I want to get that. Or, you know, maybe, maybe something even further away from Ruby, I don't know. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because on the other, mo most people won't have the luxury of doing their nights and weekends as well typing. And I can say, by the way, ergonomically from a hand perspective, you're going to destroy your hands if you're typing all night and weekends as well. It's true. And I think there are opportunities at work that you can seek out. Now, I'm a, fra I'm a former product manager, and we had a application that was getting transferred into us from an outside consultancy. And my boss pretty much asked me if I would be interested in project managing that project since he manages the other three. And so I've been the lead on all communication, both externally and internally on that project. And so that really hasn't led to more typing per se, but I'm kind of getting to flex some muscles that I've had, but kind of have atrophied in the last couple of years since I have been 95% of the time uh, coding. That's awesome. Well, th thanks for taking on my random, thoughtful uh philosophical question at the end there it's just something that's been on my mind because like i feel like if i go a while without i'm learning every day in work that's where i learned the most definitely but sometimes you just get this i get this itch every once in a while like oh man i really just need to take a day and like dive into the rails source code or something but um no it's it's definitely something we all have to face and Gosh, I don't, I, we don't ask listeners for tweets, but if anybody hears this and has some deep thoughts on what they do and how their work does it, I would love it. If not, that's fine, but I'd love to hear what people have to say. That was literally the next thing I was going to say. So you and I are definitely on the same wave, like Nick. We will link up both of our Twitter handles in the show notes. So listeners, if you have any thoughts around this topic, because believe me, it is definitely an opinion. There is no formula out there in order to do this uh, correctly then we want to hear your experiences and your advice for sure. And we'll retweet, you know, great advice, of course. So Nick, thank you as always for joining me on the show. We will definitely have another catch up episode sooner rather than later. And, you know, have a great night and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much.